Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, some of my favorite worship services I've ever been a part of have been baptism services here at Oakhurst Baptist Church. I've heard that from a number of you, how encouraging it is when someone who comes to be baptized stands up here and shares their testimony of God's grace and saving them. And I look out oftentimes when whatever individual is sharing their testimony and and I don't see very many dry eyes. Uh, We're overwhelmed by God's kindness and grace. It's encouraging to hear of his saving work, of his power and drawing people to himself. It's encouraging to see God's faithfulness to his promise that Jesus has told us he will build his church. And he's building his church by redeeming men and women and children who would put their faith in Jesus Christ. It's encouraging to see this this promise from Genesis chapter 3 that we've been studying the book of Genesis uh, since the fall. And uh, this promise in Genesis chapter 3 of this serpent crusher, snake crusher, one who would come to crush the head of the serpent. To understand that's been fulfilled in Jesus. To see the power over sin and Satan and death that's come through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, baptism services are so encouraging because they remind us of God's power. In fact, baptism itself, we, we see the gospel, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ pictured there in water baptism. But you know, after someone shares their testimony here, uh, and before they go up to the waters to be baptized, there's two questions that we ask every time of someone being baptized. The first question is this. Do you make profession of your repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? To which the person would respond, I do. That's what a baptism is, a public profession of faith in Jesus. The second question, do you promise to follow the Lord for the rest of your life in the fellowship of the local church? And that individual to respond, I do. Now, wait a minute, that's a big question. Do you promise to follow the Lord for the rest of your life? Now, we've had a lot of people up here baptized at 18 and 19 and 20 years old. If, if Christ doesn't return first, if they live a, a normal lifespan, that's a lot of life to live. It's a lot of temptation that individual will face. We know that this side of glory, there's temptation, there's trial, there's hardship that we face, there's discouragement, setbacks. We see in the story of Abram, we can expect failure. That's not all that there is, right? We expect obedience. We expect growth in holiness, joy, happiness, celebration. But we also know that's going to be mixed in with pain, this side of glory. So to stand here and to say, I promise for the rest of my life to follow the Lord in the fellowship of his church, how can one make such a promise? Well, it's only by the power of God and a transformed heart that someone could make that pledge. It's only someone who's filled with the Holy Spirit of God, a spirit that will cause you to persevere. It's only a person that has the law of God written on their heart. God, again, causing you to walk in obedience to his commandments and his statutes. It's only a person that has the promise that you are guarded now, your soul guarded now until that last day. Only such a person can make that type of promise. And this transformed heart, that stands firmly on God's promise, guarded by God until that last day, that's what our passage in Genesis 17 is about this morning. A passage about Abraham, a new name, and a new sign. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 17. That's where we're going to be this morning. 
going through this entire chapter together. If you want to use that pew Bible in front of you, turn to page 11 on the pew Bible, page 11 in your pew Bible. And if you are here this morning, you don't own a Bible, uh, that's our gift to you. Every week we say this, don't, don't feel shy to take that home. That's our gift. We'd love for you to have that and to read more of God's word and even connect with someone here this morning, a member around you or someone at the top of the ramp at the guest tent afterwards. We'd love to connect you with someone to read God's word with you and to understand more of what God has said. I'm going to read through all of Genesis chapter 17 as we begin our time together this morning. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not your offspring, both he, is, who, he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son. And you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all those born in his house or bought with money, every male among them of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old 
when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised. And all the men of his house, those born in the house and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. Well, in this chapter in Genesis, once again, we see God's grace here in appearing to Abram. And we find a series of divine speeches. So what's taking place? Divine speeches from God to Abram. God making another announcement about a covenant he had already established. Now, in these the words here, these divine speeches, we see the word covenant used 13 times. Now again, we've already seen God establish a covenant with Abram in the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 12, there was a covenant that was entered into, so that's where the covenant was introduced. In Genesis chapter 15, the covenant was ratified by the blood of sacrifice. And here in Genesis chapter 17, the covenant with Abram is reaffirmed and sealed with a sign. So what we read in this chapter is not a new covenant that God is making with Abram, but rather it adds more detail and specifics to the covenant that God had already made with Abram. And while we don't see a new covenant here, we do find new features. So in chapter 17, there's a clarification. There's an expansion of the covenant. We see really two main features that are new in chapter 17. New names and a new sign. New names are given to Abram and Sarai. And new sign, a new sign is given, the covenant sign of circumcision given as a pledge and a seal of God's promises. These new names and this new sign is given to encourage their faith, to encourage them to persevere in faithfulness and obedience to God. So there's a lot here a lot about circumcision. I told my wife I haven't considered circumcision so much as I did this past week, thinking in this text, studying it all week. Don't get lost in all the details here. There's a big picture here of encouragement to faith. That was the, the role of Moses, the narrator of Genesis, encouraging God's wandering people of Israel, wandering in the wilderness. Obey God. Walk by faith. Keep the covenant. Keep giving the sign of the covenant to your descendants. And he was pointing back to God's encouragement there originally in the chapter to Abram and Sarah. Keep trusting me. Keep obeying me. Keep the covenant. Well, the main idea that I want you to see, if you want to write this down this morning, the main idea here in this passage, the main idea of this message, God requires an obedient life that looks forward to the fulfillment of his promises. God requires an obedient life that looks forward to the fulfillment of his promises. The main idea that we see here this morning, we see that God takes holiness seriously, requires an obedient life. That obedient life looks forward in anticipation to God's faithfulness that he indeed will fulfill what he has promised. That was the call to Abraham. It's the call to you this morning, Christian. To walk in obedience by the power of God and to look forward to all that remains ahead as God fulfills his promises in his son, Jesus. Well, this is a long passage, so we're going to break that main idea down into three points as we go through this passage this morning. And these three points are going to center around three lessons of walking in obedience. So if we think about walking in obedience, there's three lessons of walking in obedience. The first one's there in verses 1 through 8. 
God guarantees all that he requires of his people. The first lesson of walking in obedience in verses 1 through 8, God guarantees all that he requires of his people. Now we see here in verse 1 that Abraham was 99 years old. That means 13 years had passed since the end of chapter 16, where we were two weeks ago. 13 years had passed since the birth of, of Ishmael. Now think about that. When What we saw in chapter 16, a dark chapter in the life of Abram and Sarah. He and his wife did not wait in patience and faith, waiting for God to fulfill his promises. And a total mess came out of the situation with Sarai's maidservant Hagar being given by Sarah to become Abram's second wife. They went outside of God's plan to try to secure an heir to their family. And as a result, we see that, that Ishmael was born and contempt existed as a result between these two women. Uh, Ishmael, God would bless them, but we're also told he was going to be a wild guy. His life would be full of conflict. In fact, he would end up opposing the people of God. And so a mess came out of that situation. Thirteen years had passed since that moment, and there were 13 more years of Sarai's barrenness. Thirteen more years of, of her not conceiving a child. Thirteen more years of not receiving the promised land. And thirteen years after that moment of chapter 16, thirteen years after their failure, the Lord appeared again to Abram in chapter 17. Now, we don't know if God appeared to him as well and it just wasn't recorded sometime between those chapters, but likely this was the next time he appeared to him, 13 years later. So we see in that God's grace. We see his commitment. He didn't just walk away from Abram and Sarai and their failure. He wasn't done with them. His purposes and his plan had not yet been accomplished. And we see God's grace and his faithfulness in appearing to them once again. This appearance, this act of grace, it also, we see it served a purpose to assure Abram, to encourage his faith, and to call him to keep the covenant. Now, there are several new names in this chapter. We see a new name, Abraham, a new name, Sarah. We also see a, a new name for the first time, Isaac. But don't miss the first new name that we read in this chapter. Remember, God is the main character in the book of Genesis. And here we find the Lord revealing a new name for himself. In verse 1, I am God Almighty. In Hebrew, that, that name is El Shaddai, God Almighty. And traditionally, this name of God has been understood to mean the God who is sufficient. This name, it, it emphasizes the power of God. God's ability and power to fulfill all that he has promised. You see, there's assurance found in this name El Shaddai, God Almighty, that God Almighty is able. Plenty of things that we're not able to do. 99 years old, Abram say, I'm not able to father a child. Sarah, I say, I've been barren all these years. I'm not able to conceive a child. And God says, I am able. I am God Almighty. Put your hope and put your trust in me. Now, this name for God, God Almighty, it's used from, from this point forward in the book of Genesis when the promise of descendants is, is given. And typically in a moment in the life of the patriarchs when they're in need of assurance, when they're in need of encouragement to their faith, God Almighty comes into the picture to encourage their faith. Well, with the revelation of this new name of God, 
the Lord also gave two commands that showed how his people are to live. Look at the end of verse 1 there. Two commands, walk before me and be blameless. Now, now place together, walk before me and be blameless. These dual commands point to a condition of total obedience. We've seen this metaphor of walking in Genesis before. We've seen it in the life of, of Enoch and then in, in Noah, that they walked with God. Uh, to walk before God is simply to walk in the presence of God. It's to place yourself under the Lord's authority, to maintain an ongoing and intimate relationship with the Lord. And being blameless, it, it points to living in integrity, the, the wholeness of of relationship that God's people enjoy with him as they walk in holiness as he is holy. Well, unlike the covenant from chapter 15, here we find conditions. And you may wonder, like, well, what is this? In chapter 15, there really was no condition. I mean, God called Abram out of, or out of the land of, of darkness, and he just tells him all these promises, things he's going to do. So in one sense, the covenant with Abram, it's, it's unconditional. I mean, God will see to it that these promises are fulfilled. God will see to it that he builds a kingdom through Abram. But on the other hand, we see in chapter 17, there are conditions given. There's obligations to the covenant to walk before God and to be blameless. These must be kept. God has commanded them. Abram is obligated and his descendants after him obligated to keep the covenant. In fact, that's the thrust of this whole passage. Keep the covenant. Main command there. Well, the idea here is this. In Genesis 15 and Genesis 17, there's promises. There's conditions and obligations what we must be clear on is that God will see to it himself that these obligations are kept. God will secure for himself a people. Abram must obey, and God is giving him everything he needs to walk in obedience. God will surely fulfill his promises, and he will do this as Abram walks in obedience to God. Well, God's people today in the local church, we are called to live holy lives. We pray that often on Sunday morning, on Sunday evening, that we would grow in holiness, that we would take obedience in the Christian life as serious, that we, we give lots of time to expositional preaching and sitting under God's word here this morning. We know that expositional preaching is meant to, pre to point to Jesus Christ and how he's fulfilled all that God has commanded. And for those that are in Christ, to call us how to walk with Jesus, how to imitate him, how to look like him and love like him and consider obedience like Jesus did, that it's an important part of the Christian life. But it should bring us comfort as we consider obedience that God Almighty provides the power that we need to obey. He provides the power that we need to walk in holiness. If you put your faith in Jesus, you've been filled with the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God necessarily produces fruit in your life and causes you to walk in obedience. So God provides the power, and our role is to exercise that power from God, to exercise that power and walk in holiness and obedience, to help one another in the local church walk in obedience to God's Word. Well, brother and sister, have you considered how important obedience is to the Christian life? Have you considered how important uh, that our worship necessarily involves obedience to God? Well, pray for deeper obedience for yourself. Great prayer request this week. A great prayer request. If you want to use our, our directory app, remember our church, you have the directory app. Pray for others this week. 
Pray for deeper obedience in their lives. Pray that we would encourage one another to walk in faith and obedience. Well, in verse 3, we see the response of Abram to the Lord, of this appearing of God. He fell on his face. This is the first of two times in this passage that we see Abram falling on his face. Well, it's like, what's happening here? Is he just clumsy? And is he tripping? He's 99. He's tripping and falling down. Well, no, he falls on his face, but for two different reasons, those two different times. The first time he fell on his face in humility, like a servant bowing before a king, bowing in humble worship. He was overwhelmed at the Lord's faithfulness and power, and he fell on his face in worship of the Lord Almighty. Now, verse four, it marks the start of a second divine speech from God to Abram. And there, verses 4 through 8, the Lord explained the covenant to Abram. So so the content in verses 4 through 8, it provides an even greater level of clarity for how it is that God will bless Abram. Uh, Another new feature we see in chapter 17 is the highlight that Abram will be the father of a multitude of nations. Look there in verse 4. Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. Now, verse 12, Abraham, he was promised to become a mighty nation. Here in verse 4, which is actually 24 years later, he promised, he's promised that he will be the father of a multitude of nations. And to mark this moment, the Lord gave Abram a new name. Look at verse 5. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Now, the name Abram meant exalted father, and that spoke of, of his God. That's who the father was in his name, Abram. But, but Abraham, his, his new name, speaks of the many offspring that God would give him in making him the father of a multitude of nations. Now, in the Old Testament, a person's name given at birth, it, it expressed their character, or at least what, what their parents hoped their character would, would be. A name in the Old Testament might also express the desire that the parents had for the future of that child. Now here, God's the one giving a name, and he changed Abram's name, and it was a pledge. It was a pledge that guaranteed Abram's future. It was a a pledge that guaranteed God's covenant promise that he indeed would be the father of a multitude of nations. And so God changing Abram's name to Abraham, it was an authoritative act. Who was your name given to you by? For, For most of us, our name was given to us uh, by one of our parents, or both of them. That was an authoritative act, right? So, so your neighbors probably didn't get to name you. Uh, your parents' best friend from high school probably didn't get to name you. That was an authoritative act given to your parents. They decided your name and what went on your birth certificate. Well, here, with, with God giving a name to Abram and Sarah, uh, not at the beginning of their lives, but actually right towards, towards the end of their lives, or even midlife, uh, that was an act of his authority, saying, Here's what I am going to do. I'm changing your future. Your future's been changed with these promises. And here's a name I am giving you, changing your name to reflect my promises. This this showed God's authority, that like God did in naming Adam, here he named Abram, Abraham. The change in the name was also a pledge. So the Lord was pledging that he would surely keep his promises. Now that new name, it would continually remind Abraham that he can be certain in God's promise that he will become the father of many nations. Think about this. Every time he heard his name, he was issued a reminder of God's pledge and promise. 
Think about how many times a day you hear your name. How many times you say it yourself or write it yourself. How many times someone else says your name. Well, that's how it would be for, for Abraham. Every time he would hear his name said, it was a reminder there of God's grace and his faithfulness and his promise. God was being kind and assuring Abraham and giving him an ongoing, continual reminder of his faithfulness. You don't forget your name, and giving Abraham a new name with a new meaning was a pledge for God that was meant to be unforgettable. Now, one book I was reading this week uh, compared this name change of, of Abram to Abraham to in the New Testament, when Jesus changed the name of one of his disciples from Simon to Peter. In Matthew chapter, chapter 16, when Simon's name was changed to Peter, that came with a promise that Jesus was promising, I will build my church. And that commentary kind of connected the promise given to, to Abram there at his name change to the promise that we have in Jesus Christ, that he indeed is building his church. That should be an encouragement and a comfort to our faith this morning. Again, we mentioned earlier that God builds his church by redeeming people. Every baptism, a reminder, God is building his church. We pray for the nations because we know that the building of the church of Jesus Christ has no geographic boundaries. It has no borders that necessarily can't be crossed. We know there are foreign rulers right now that will not let missionaries into their country, that will not let Bibles to be possessed by citizens or the gospel to be proclaimed. I've been in some of those countries before, but we know at the same time that the gospel has no boundaries. I've been in those countries and seen God's work there in the lives of people, meeting in underground churches where God's faithfulness has shown that he indeed, through his son Jesus, will build a people for himself. And Peter's name change, we have a promise as the church that Christ will build his church and that the gates of hell will not prevail. Well, this new name here in chapter 17, it pledged all that God promised to do. In verses 6 through 8, there's more promises there. In verse 6, God promised, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. Think about and contrast that to Adam. Genesis 1, 28. He was called to be fruitful and multiply. Abraham was told, I will make you fruitful. There at the end of verse 6, another detail, an expansion of the promise Kings will come for you. So we know that kings indeed, as the Old Testament story unfolds, kings came from, from Sarah by God's grace. But God's promise that kings would come from Abraham and Sarah, it looks forward to the Messiah, Jesus, the King of kings. And indeed, that's how he's introduced in Matthew chapter 1, descendant of Abraham, King Jesus, coming from this lineage. Well, while the expansion and clarification of this covenant, it highlighted a multitude of nations, an everlasting covenant, an everlasting possession of, of land and the land of Canaan. The ultimate blessing of this covenant, don't miss this, it's there at the end of verse 7. The ultimate blessing in verse 7, the blessing to be God to you and to your offspring after you. The ultimate blessing of the covenant is that God Almighty Abraham is your God. He's going to be God of your descendants after you. The greatest blessing you could know is to know God Almighty is your God to walk in his presence. Well, some of you here this morning, you acknowledge that there, there is a God. So if you're here this morning, you're not a Christian, we are glad you're here. You're welcome to come every single week. We hope, we hope you come back next week. We think coming to a church service to hear preaching from the Bible and get to know those who put their faith in Jesus will help you learn more about who God is 
and what he's done in Jesus. But I understand for, for, for many who even aren't Christians, they may acknowledge, and you may acknowledge, that there is a God. But the question is, is he your God? Is the God who created the sun and the moon and the stars, who created everything and everyone we've seen around us, is he your God? Do you live in a covenant relationship with him? See, that's what the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus, is all about. The gospel tells us that though we've sinned against God and we are deserving of punishment for our sins, that God in his amazing grace and his love sent his son Jesus down to earth to die on the cross and to pay the penalty for our sins. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, which we celebrate every Sunday morning as a church, is good news to us that Jesus is who he said he was that he's risen from the dead, and he offers new life and forgiveness of sins to anyone who would turn and trust in him. If you repent of your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ at that moment, the God of the universe becomes your God. He comes to live inside of you through his spirit, causing you to walk in faith and obedience, and you will be guarded until that last day when you are welcomed into everlasting fellowship and the eternal presence of God in heaven. If you come today and you don't know Jesus, you don't know God, don't leave here today without seeking more about what this looks like, how you can enter into a relationship with God through faith in Jesus. Talk to someone who brought you this morning. Stop by the guest in afterwards. We'd love to talk with you more than just about the Panthers game or fall weather or whatever else is going on that people talk about. The most important conversation we could have with you is to share this good news of how you can be made right with God and know him. Well, the second lesson we see there in verses 9 through 14, a second lesson in obedience, it's this. God requires his people to be set apart. God requires his people to be set apart. There's a third divine speech here, starting in verse 9. The Lord, he turned to Abraham to tell him what he was obligated to do. Let me read verse 9 for us. As for you, you shall keep my covenant you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. Now again, this covenant was entirely the initiative of God. God was the one who, who called Abraham out of idolatry and pagan worship and darkness to follow him to a land that God would show him. But also notice that with this covenant, a response was required from Abraham. These gracious promises of God demanded a response. And God first stated what he would do, but here in verse 9, we see what Abraham must do. God called him to keep his covenant. Abraham, his offspring, all the generations after him, must keep the covenant. Now, there aren't a lot of details given here in Genesis 17 about the covenant and what that means to keep the covenant. Uh, Generally speaking, I think it's a general call to commitment and to obedience to God and his word. By faith, Abraham and his descendants must walk in devotion and obedience to God. Now, the immediate command that God gave to Abraham to keep the covenant is there in verse 10. The Lord commanded that every male among you shall be circumcised. So keeping the covenant involved receiving circumcision as a sign of membership in God's covenant people. Now, earlier in Genesis, we've seen that when God made a covenant with Noah, there was a sign given. What was that sign? A rainbow. Later on in the book of Exodus, when God makes a covenant with Moses, there's a sign given. There in the law, it's the Sabbath. 
We also see here that when God makes a covenant with Abraham, there's a sign given, and that sign is circumcision. Now, circumcision was the cutting off of the foreskin. It was an external identification with God with his covenant. So again, circumcision, an an external sign of devotion and commitment to the Lord. In verses 10 through 13, we read the rules of circumcision. Every male among you shall be circumcised, every one of them. Abraham, every male throughout his generations. And to show this covenant was extended to the next generation, at eight days old, baby boys were to receive this sign. In verse 14, we see the penalty for breaking the covenant and not being circumcised. So to refuse to be circumcised was a rejection of God and his promises. Unbelief. And the refusal there, the penalty, was being cut off from the community cut off from blessing, most likely ending in death. And to show, again, or to see the the seriousness of this, one commentary put it like this, here's the choice, be cut or be cut off. This was a warning. Faith in God Almighty is necessary. Obedience to God is required. But what purpose would this sign of circumcision have. I mean, this external sign, what it would do is it would mark them off, certainly as being devoted to service of the Lord. But think about this. Circumcision was a sign in their flesh as a continual reminder to Abraham and to his descendants that they belonged to God. Marking them off as belonging to God. Circumcision signified the, the whole life committed to God walking before him, being blameless. It was a sign of being set apart, being consecrated to God. Also, this sign tied into the covenant promise of of an heir and descendants. And therefore, the organ of procreation received a mark. The covenant promise, again, tied into a seed from Abraham, Abraham that would produce descendants that would outnumber the stars in the sky. Circumcision would remind Abraham that human power alone would not be able to accomplish that. God Almighty would be the only one capable of producing a multitude of nations through Abraham. So circumcision was a reminder. Trust God Almighty. Trust His promises. And ultimately, the sign of of physical circumcision It was a type. We've covered that in a recent sermon, a typology, kind of something that looked forward to what God was going to do in in Jesus. Circumcision looked forward to a spiritual circumcision of the heart. See, circumcision of the flesh would be of no value to Abram's descendants unless they shared in Abraham's faith. They needed the same faith that Abraham had, not just the same external sign. They needed the same heart that Abraham had been given by God. You see, receiving a physical circumcision identified them as being of the physical seed of Abraham, but they would need to be identified with the spiritual seed of Abraham. That would require a spiritual circumcision, one made without hands. A spiritual circumcision is not humanly possible. You can't do that for yourself. You can't do that for your neighbor. That's something only the Spirit of God could do and could accomplish. So the whole sign here was pointing to the need of a circumcised heart. Now in the Old Covenant, it was different is that not everyone who was a descendant of Abraham and was circumcised in the flesh had a circumcised heart. Sin needed to be dealt with. 
So as you trace the sign of circumcision from this moment in Genesis 17, as you trace it throughout the rest of the Pentateuch even and all the way to the New Testament, you're going to see a move from external to internal, to the heart. That's the movement. This is the introduction in Genesis 17. External sign meant to reflect and show an internal need that only God Almighty could and would meet. In Deuteronomy, we see that physical circumcision was pointing to a greater and better circumcision that needed to occur, one of the heart. Listen as I read Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. Deuteronomy 30, verse 6. The only way to love God with all of your heart, the only way to walk by faith and to obey God and keep the covenant is to have your heart transformed, circumcised, changed. Circumcision of the heart is is what was needed to be a true covenant member, to truly belong to God. Now, God's covenant with Abraham would not be his final covenant. Of course, we see later on in the Old Testament a covenant with Moses and a covenant with David. But ultimately, this covenant with Abraham, it looked forward to a new and final covenant that God established through the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, his son. A new covenant that would be superior to the old covenant and that it brought a better and greater circumcision, a circumcision of the heart. And in the New Testament, we see the Apostle Paul pick up on this same language from the book of Deuteronomy in Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. In that verse, he taught what Jesus does for all of those who trust in him. Colossians 2, 11, in him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. In the new covenant, physical circumcision is no longer required for covenant membership. Christ has fulfilled what Genesis 17 and that sign looked forward to. The bloody and painful rite of circumcision was fulfilled in Jesus shedding his blood and suffering pain for us on the cross. All that circumcision looked forward to, Jesus came and he paid the price that we might be made one with God. You see, the sign long ago given to Abraham, it looked forward to what Christ alone could do. Something that was impossible with human hands, accomplished through the finished work of Jesus Christ and dying on the cross to pay for sin. You see, circumcision of the heart would be the sign for all who are the people of God in the new covenant. Jesus laid down his life and died on the cross and rose from the dead that we might receive this circumcision of our hearts to be transformed, to know God, and to walk with him, to be filled with his spirit. All that I mentioned earlier about being guarded until that last day, that comes to anyone and everyone who would turn and put their faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. You see, physical circumcision pointed to what you and I need most, freedom from our sin a transformed heart, something we can't possibly take care of on our own. Being freed from our sin, the the debt we owe God for, for sinning against him, the penalty that we deserve of death, that Jesus came and took that penalty by laying his life down as a substitute and taking the penalty for our sins and his sacrifice on the cross. At the moment of conversion, the moment you put your faith in Jesus, Christian, you were filled with the Spirit of God. 
brought into a relationship with God, adopted into his family. All the promises of God made yes in Jesus Christ and applied to you personally, brought into this people of God, a redeemed people from the ends of the earth that would know God and walk in obedience to him, keeping his covenant. You see, in the old covenant, God formed his people by marking off Abraham's descendants with circumcision and and later giving them the law, setting them apart from the rest of the nations. But in the new covenant, God's people are not defined by being physical descendants of Abraham, but in our relationship to Jesus. All who repent of their sin and put their faith in Jesus are saved and adopted and belong to God through Jesus Christ, his son. You see, there was no guarantee in the covenant with Abraham that all of his physical descendants would receive a circumcised heart. But in the new covenant, all of God's people in Christ have a circumcised heart. All of God's people in the new covenant have had their sins forgiven, paid for. All of God's people in the new covenant redeemed. All of God's people in the new covenant, law of God written on your heart. All of God's people in the new covenant guarded until that last day in Christ Jesus, an eternal destiny that has been made secure in Jesus. All of God's people, by the power of his spirit, preserved to walk in obedience until that last day. You see, Jesus was the only one of Abraham's descendants to perfectly keep God's covenant. In that sense, the New Testament presents him as the only true child of Abraham. He was the only one who perfectly walked before God, the only one blameless, spotless, the only one qualified to step in as our substitute and pay the penalty for our sins on the cross. He was the only one fully qualified before God who walks before him blamelessly, fully God and fully man. Therefore, the children of Abraham are all of those who've put their faith in Jesus. Galatians chapter 3.16, another passage you can write down, Galatians 3.16, we read of that truth. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. The covenant with Abraham is guaranteed because of the obedience of Jesus Obedience even to the point of death on the cross. And therefore, those who put their faith in Jesus are united to God. We are true children of Abraham, living in a covenant relationship with God. What this means for the life of the church and our our life together, because the church, we are the holy ones of God and the new covenant, called out of the world to live for God's glory, to bear his name and represent him and demonstrate his glory to the ends of the earth. But what this means for the life of the church is that while the old covenant was entered into by a physical birth, the new covenant is only entered into by a spiritual rebirth. You're not born a Christian. Somebody tells you they were born a Christian, that means they're saying they're either Jesus or John the Baptist. All right? You're not born a Christian. You might be born into a home with Christian parents. You might have been born uh, going to church. Oh, what a wonderful blessing that is. But the only way to, to, to come into God's family is to be spiritually reborn, to repent of your sin, put your faith in Jesus. That's how you become a Christian. So so those who are in the new covenant are born again by the Spirit of God, and therefore the covenant sign of baptism is only to be given to those who've already put their faith 
in Jesus. You see, Jesus commissioned and sends out his disciples in the church to baptize. Baptism is the physical sign of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Baptism is a sign of inclusion in God's people, the church, the sign of having a circumcised heart. So those who have repented of their sin against God and put their faith in Jesus Christ, the forgiveness of sin, and obedience to Jesus are baptized. And since all members of the new covenant have a circumcised heart, and all members have been spiritually reborn and traced their roots to Christ, then baptism and membership should only be given to those who've already put their faith in Jesus Christ. That's why Baptists, that's why we believe that. That's why we understand. That's why we understand circumcision, how it connects to baptism, that physical circumcision, look forward to spiritual circumcision, and baptism reflects that reality. I've been saved by the blood of the Lamb, transformed by God, brought into a loving relationship with God through faith and his son, Jesus Christ. Well, the last part of chapter 17, we see a third lesson, verses 15 through 27. Here's the third lesson. God's power is displayed in how he fulfills his promises. God's power is displayed in how he fulfills his promises. Verse 15, there's a fourth speech, and moving through this quickly, this speech we see God's promises extended directly to Abraham's, Abraham's wife, Sarah. And we see that her name is changed as well to Sarah. Now, both those names, likely we're not given the meaning, they likely mean princess. Uh, the first might have meant that Sarai, she came from a noble line. But this new name, Sarah, princess, likely looked forward to kings coming from, name, namely the king, King Jesus, coming from her. Well, just as the new name Abraham pointed to a new beginning for him, Sarah had a new beginning. God promised to bless her and to bring forth nations and kings, not from Hagar, but from her. And this announcement, it caused Abraham to fall on his face a second time. Again, he's not clumsy. What happened here the second time? He was laughing. He fell down, and that falling down was accompanied by laughter. He found God's promise laughable. In verse 17, he responded, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? He's saying, look at us. But he needed to look to God. God Almighty, this was possible. Sarah was barren. She was 90. She couldn't have a, a single child, let alone kings and nations coming from her. In verse 18, Abraham said, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Basically saying, God, I've got a better suggestion. I've got a better idea. I've got a better plan. Let's work through, through Ishmael. Think about that moment. He's laughing. He's offering God a substitute plan. He had a more sensible idea. As you first read that, you might think, how irreverent and how disrespectful. And it was. But Christian, consider how often you live like that. Consider how often you and I don't believe God's promises. Consider how often you and I think we have a better plan for our life or a better idea of what should happen. And then even in the unanswered prayer, we, we think, man, God should have answered this prayer my way. We fail to realize how his answer to our prayer, sometimes in saying no to what we're praying, he has a better yes for us, a better plan that he is going to reveal. I consider how often you and I doubt God's promises. We might not laugh out loud, loud at God's promises. I don't hear anybody laughing out loud when I read the truth of God's word here in this church, thankfully. But when we doubt God, it's just like laughing at God. And while we can acknowledge doubt in our lives and deal with it, it's not to be embraced. Ask God for assurance. 
Ask him to strengthen your faith, to persevere through doubt, and to trust God and his promises. Once again, God in his grace, he didn't cast Abram away because of his doubt. Rather, the Lord continued unpacking his plan and his promises. He tells him, Ishmael's not going to be your heir, but a new name in verse 21. He's going to establish his covenant with Isaac. And Isaac is the last new name revealed in this chapter. You know what his name means? Laughter. It was going to be a reminder of their laughing at God's doubt and promises, but, but I think that there's actually two sides to this laughter. So it wasn't just like, hey, God's telling Abraham, you and Sarah, you're going to remember this moment the rest of your life, you laugh. There's a part of that. It was instructive, corrective, and teaching. But I think it also was, was pointing to the laughter and joy God was going to bring into their household through Isaac. The laughter and joy they would know when they received this promised heir and son through faith and patience, they would know joy after 25 years of waiting. God would give them a son, Isaac. He would be the one through whom a multitude of nations would come, and they would be filled with joy at God's fulfillment of his promises. And with that, the Lord was done. I love how this, chap- uh, this story ends in verse 22. God went up. He was done. There you go. There's the promise. God went up, leaving Abraham with that promise, well, the tension of this passage, how would Abraham respond to this? Would he obey? Would he walk in obedience to God and receive the sign of circumcision and give that to his family? Well, this time he didn't laugh, he obeyed. Verses 23 through 27 show Abraham obeying his response to God's promise to do what seemed humanly impossible was obedience. He had possessed faith for decades, and now he was circumcised. And that very day, in obedience to God, he circumcised Ishmael and all the men of his house, just as God Almighty commanded. Well, God blessed Abraham that day by encouraging his faith. And that encouragement from the Lord strengthened Abraham to continue in obedience and walk in devotion to God and his word. Brother and sister, we need that encouragement today to look to Christ. Remember your baptism. Christian, remember your baptism. Member of our church, remember your baptism. Remember what that sign pointed to, a a circumcised heart filled with the Spirit of God, transformed to love Him and to live for Him now and forevermore. Remember what that baptism displayed, what God had already done, promised to guard your heart and soul from this day until that last day. A promise a guarantee that all that God requires of his people, he graciously provides for them. And member of this church, consider how you can be an encouragement to one another this week. There are so many discouraging things that go on. I mean, you get on Twitter, you'll get discouraged in like 60 seconds. We need some encouragers to step up. We need some encouragers to be loud. We need people who want to encourage one another about the truth of God's word to step up and to be loud. We need those who extend kindness and grace. We need those who don't just offer cliches when we're having a a hard season or suffering through hardships and challenges. We need God's people to point one another to God's word that we would be encouraged. So let me leave you with this, an assurance in Christ from the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 1, verse 8. Apostle Paul says this, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Brother and sister, may we find assurance in knowing Jesus and all that he's done for us. Let's bow and pray.
Father, we ask that you'd strengthen our faith today. We pray for your grace in that, Lord, that you would remind us of the truth of your word. Lord, keep us from being people who are merely familiar with your word. Help us to be those who have faith in you and your word, who trust you and take your promises. Lord, we ask that you'd strengthen us this morning to grow as your people in deeper worship and service and obedience to you and help the ministry of our church grow in helping to shape and form one another to know your word and to grow in trusting and obeying you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.